Welcome back to another episode of Distilling Design. In today's episode, we are having a conversation with my dear friend, Cynthia Ferguson. She is an interior designer in Toronto, and um, I have known her for a very long time. And I've even worked for her, which was awesome. And, um, and today we get to dive a little deeper into interior design and its relationship in the world of design, architecture, spaces, furniture design, color, indoors and outdoors, and all of the above. So anyway, without further ado, um, Cynthia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to participate. I'm really excited. can't wait to see where the conversation goes. Thank you for agreeing to do it. So do you want to just first maybe introduce yourself, who you are, yep. maybe a little bit about your background? What do you do? Let the people know. Give the people what they want. All right. Um, my name is Cynthia Ferguson. I am Toronto-based. I uh, was raised here for most of my life after short stints in England and the U.S. And I fell into the design world about 28 years ago, completely by mistake. And it was the best mistake I ever made. I certainly never believed I would be in this industry. And I feel very fortunate to have found a great industry to work in that I'm passionate about from the time I was in my early 20s. I run a firm uh, specializing in residential design. We are definitely color focused, maximalist. We believe in layered, tailored interiors, and we have a great time with most of our clients being able to design interiors that are to be lived in, not looked at, but actually lived in. Feet up on the Ottomans, family on the sofa, great user-friendly, family-friendly interiors. So you kind of touched on color there. And I mean, I will say like my personal style, I like, I don't do color at all. I mean, black and white, really, I mean, and I love color and I appreciate it. But do your clients, do they understand the color theory? Is that something that comes into your thought process and your design process? I would say most of the time when clients retain us and we have our very first meeting, I will say that in 90% of our meetings, the conversation starts with, we love what you do, but we don't want that. It's the most odd introduction. And then they'll say, we love color, but we just want a little bit, or we just want you know, maybe a little bit here, or you can have fun in the powder room, go wild in there. And it's interesting to be retained by clients who want to work with you, but then put up a barrier right out of the gate, which I've always found amusing. And we use it as a game to essentially see how far we can push and see how far we could get them. And can we convert them during our process and how much is too much? Um, so we've actually found that we do really well with being able to get clients over to our side and introducing color into interiors. We also have found that a lot of clients will say that they're afraid of color, but they're sitting there in our meeting in a hot pink silk shirt telling me that they don't like color and yet they're dressed completely vibrantly. And um, so often I feel, which I think a lot of us would say in design is that it's also a voyage of self-discovery that they, our clients tend to learn a lot about themselves and what makes them happy when we work together. So although they may put up the barrier initially, we tend to find that we're able to move them along and integrate more color or pattern than they thought they would actually enjoy initially. So how do you bring them along? Like, how do you slowly bring them through that design process of color? Because I, I know it can be very intimidating for people because buying a silk blouse is much easier than buying a hot pink sofa. I think listening is really important out of the gate. 
because I find that clients today are way more educated than they used to be 21 years ago or 28 years ago when we started. I mean, there wasn't social media and there wasn't HGTV. So interiors back then really were, you know, what was available at Eaton's in a set. (laughs) Um, So I feel like today it's much more about listening initially and hearing where their boundaries are and what their perceptions are of themselves and then seeing what they get drawn to and I would say that out of the gate initially we are full of imagery we overload our clients with images and inspiration just to have a conversation and I can pick up cues very quickly about their tolerance at that point and I think from there it's about showing them their safe zone and pushing their design a little bit I mean if everybody stayed in their safe zone they really wouldn't need us professionals They could just replicate what they already have. So I find that learning to pick up on the personal cues and learning to open their experiences past what they've seen in magazines or in their friends' houses really is our job. And I do believe at this point in my career, if I'm not doing that and giving them something more than they've already seen, then I'm actually not doing them a service. And I really want to be able to bring our clients along to have a, a, a better finished product than they ever expected. I want the, I expected it would be good, but oh my God, it's great at the end. And I think that that's part of my job. And do you think they understand the sort of the deeper, almost significance of color in terms of like theory and, you know, let's say blue can tend to be, quite a melancholy color or a calming color or red is a little bit scary, that kind of thing, you know, do they understand how it's used and how it's used to announce a room and describe a room and how it can change your whole perception of a certain interior space? Or is it just, I like blue, so I'm going to put blue in, you know, whatever, whatever. I, I would say it's a lot more of a generally open concept of what they like and dislike. I don't think if I use the words color theory, I think I would lose them and I'd get a glazed over look quite quickly. I think understanding their emotional reaction to color is something that we certainly focus on without our clients actually really knowing that we're doing that. I think a lot of what we do is about nuance and I equate it to a very basic basic thing that we all do, which is name association. When people are naming their kids, often the couple will have a discussion about, oh, I don't like that name. That reminds me of a kid back in high school or a kid in elementary school or whatever. We have predispositions we bring with us. Color's no different. I will often have, you know, a conversation of, I don't like pink and chintz because it reminds me of my grandmother. I don't, the shears, that's the big thing. I don't want shears. My grandmother had shears. Today's shears are completely different than what our grandmothers all had. There's no silk going on anymore. And I think that bridging that conversation about the application of color and then also taking it one step further and bridging it with the application of pattern is a whole other game, especially for Torontonians who like everything in solid and monochromatic. So I don't necessarily go back to what we would know in our industry as color theory. It's more about um, association of emotion, I think, for my clients than anything else. I mean, part of our training is to work with color and texture. What's your experience in working with architects and bringing those two worlds together? 
I think the architects I've had the pleasure of working with generally have never spoken about anything other than black and white ever. I always say that when I arrive on the scene, it's kind of like Joseph and the Technicolor code has arrived on the scene and we're going to see things in a different light. I think it's very much like our AutoCAD drawings, you know, they're line drawings and a lot of curves and detailing and all of sort of the, the design elements and the finesse that an architect brings to me is what makes it sing. And I'm just going to give it a palette background. So when I have worked with architects, we've never, ever had the color discussion. I mean, I know one architect I have worked with for, I'm going to say almost 20 years now, always says when he hands over his drawings, here you go, here's your blank canvas. I can't wait to see what you produce. Um, There never really is a conversation that I've had about the finished product. So it's, uh, it doesn't come up that much in my practice. And then what do they think of it once the finished product is revealed? Generally, it's one of, oh my gosh, I never could have imagined this. Because in their head, it's about volume of space and about detailing and about structural integrity and all of those good things that I could never, ever do. No matter how much wallpaper I put on a wall, I can't make it stand up. I mean, I can just think of one that I worked on with with Tom Sprague. And, you know, he, he always laughs at me about what we have as a finished product. And he says, you know, I take it this far and you run way down the road with it. And he's always so supportive of what we end up doing with his space, which I think is, it's a great relationship. That's lucky. I know a lot of architects who wouldn't go down that path. <laughs> I, know, I know. We won't be working together. <laughs> I mean, the house that I grew up in was all white walls, all black floors, and the color came from the scenery. So we have, you know, a wall of glass that looks out onto the ocean. The paintings were all bright colors. Like, you know, that's where our color came from always growing up. So that's my view of it. Where is it? It's like a wall, white. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, do, look around. Like, you know. You're all white. And I, and I do, we do do lots of white walls. I mean, the two largest projects we've just completed are completely white walls. Except that, you know, I'd get one room where I would do lots of wallpaper on it and it would be in black and white, or we would get a powder room, which isn't seen from the rest of the house. So that it's this room, this, this bijou that you sort of discover, but everything else is white and it did come from material selection and outdoors and the artwork. So we were talking in our little meeting before about kind of being taken seriously Mm -hmm. um, as an interior designer or as a designer, whatever you want to call yourself. And how has that kind of melded or or formed your view on the whole design world? Because I know a lot of people can be rather stubborn or rude, really, when it comes to, you know, different practices under the umbrella of design, particularly architects. (laughs) We're not, we're not the nicest. (laughs) Um, I think that it depends on your audience. And I think that what you know, we talked about earlier was about how interior design maybe in the public's eye is seen very much as a, as I had alluded to it, as a ladies who lunch and a hobby and a bunch of women who shop together. And I think as a business owner, uh, that's where I get my backup is that that certainly is not what I do. It certainly is not the level of responsibility that I feel to my clients, my industry, my peers, my staff, that it's a serious business with a ton of liability. 
and more headaches than I think anybody really would ever want to deal with, let alone the decision-making that most people don't want to have to deal with. I think that it's a lot of psychological uh, warfare between couples sometimes, between trades, between architects and designers and the clients and communication issues. I think that interior design for those who don't know, who don't walk in our shoes or who have never built their own house with a team, I think that it's probably one of the most misunderstood industries. And I think that there are so many people who are in the design industry and we're all so different, so, so different. Some start like I did by falling into it and then go back to school. Some fall into it because they have great taste and their friends want them to decorate their houses because they like their house. There are all different elements. I mean, there are lots of designers who never are more than working by themselves because that's their comfort level. And then there are some of us who are crazy and say no to nothing and end up with large teams and huge office space and, you know, have to get up every single morning to push to get the overhead covered and everything in between. I think that it's probably the largest unregulated industry with the greatest variety of individuals in it and business structures. And I think sometimes people forget that interior design is an actual business. On top of being creatives, we are also business owners. And I think that that's very difficult in our industry to say, nobody ever at the beginning of the industry said, here's a great idea. Let's take a bunch of creatives and also make them business owners. Like it's just, yeah. they're polar opposite skill sets and it makes it very difficult to do what we do. It is. And the thing I found about interior design is that you need to be insanely organized uh, yes. because there's a million different decisions that need to be made. Yep. And, and that's, I mean, you can say that as well for construction and architecture, but there's a lot of ways to hide some of those. They don't go exactly as planned. Mm-hmm. When you're at the finishing stage, so you're creating an aesthetic for, for the environment that's been built, you can't make mistakes. And if a mistake is made, you actually have to rip it out and start again. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot of leeway with that. And I think that's also underestimated. The value of project management, I think. I have a lot of clients and and I think, Cynthia, you're probably better at it than I am telling clients they need project management. It Mm. is hard to make those decisions when it's your own house and it's your own money that you're spending. So you need to be one person removed. So the person that should be that project manager is the designer or the architect. Mm-hmm. More so than the general contractor, because the general contractor has a different set of priorities. The architect and the designer know what the big picture is and know what the finished project is supposed to look like. I don't like creating a hierarchy, but that's kind of the way it is when you're dealing with designers versus contractors who are actually building it. So just the fact that being insanely organized and the value of project management, that it's misunderstood and not valued as much. I, I agree. And I think too, that there's something that we're running up against currently in our project load where we're working with new contractors who we've never worked with before. And they're questioning everything that we're designing, but it's on an aesthetic level, not anything else. So, you know, it feels insulting that I'm not going to ask them if that's the right way to plumb the toilet. That's their job. I know that I trust them. I know that they're going to execute appropriately, but right down to, are you 
sure that that's the baseboard you want to use. I don't think you should use crown that big. You should make it smaller. The ceiling height aren't high enough. And I think, oh my gosh, everybody stay in their lane, work together. We're there to work together for the client. But I find that sometimes we have a contractor who, you know, likes to tell us that we don't know what we're doing frequently. And I keep thinking it's such a a character foil to our other jobs where they're so glad that we're so organized and that we've got all the answers and that we've got digital of everything that they can have access to immediately and all of those things that I think there is often a power struggle on a site, be it the builder, the architect, the designer, the project manager, the site manager, the client. There's so many people involved who are leaders But it's also over the largest investment that anybody will likely make, which gives us an onus, I believe, to the client and and, and a responsibility to make sure that we all play well. And I find we're not necessarily all coming from the same standpoint frequently. And I think that that's hard. You're putting a whole bunch of people together that may not have ever worked together or a contractor who may never have worked with a designer before. Those are my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, the, and then everything just ends up bad for the client. It does. And they're um, the one who in the end bears the brunt of everybody's arguing. And <laughs> I think too, that it's a gargantuan waste of time and it's unnecessary, but you have to tiptoe around the egos so frequently. And I'm fine to do that because that doesn't bother me. I certainly have an agenda, but my agenda is to get the message through, to get it executed as quickly as possible because time is money. And I like to be respectful of my clients. And I think that that's hard. I think that it's hard. And then add a pandemic and a broken supply chain and everybody who's completely overworked and we have more jobs than we know what to do with across the board. And I think that it only heightens that problem. I'm hoping through this uh, podcast series that we're sort of breaking down some of those barriers. That was sort of our goal is to open up the idea of more communication and a better understanding of everybody's job so that people feel comfortable staying in their lane and they don't question somebody else's work in Mm -hmm. any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can sort of hide your question very discreetly, but it's the same question no matter what. And, you know, my experience in the past with builders has been fabulous, honestly, where they call me after the client meeting and say things like, I didn't want to say anything in front of the client, but we have this issue. How can we work it out? You know, do you have any ideas? And, And that to me really truly feels like a partnership in getting the job done that has been my experience in the past, or if we're purchasing product and we're feeding the site for them, working in tandem has worked very, very well because the builders are happy to have that offloaded and just have tile show up or just have plumbing parts show up. They're thrilled not to have to deal with that. We're not finding that at the moment. At the moment, we seem to be working with a different group who are doing all the purchasing and all the procurement. I'm just wondering... Do you see that as a result of something like HGTV? I think um, HGTV and the fact that two contractors I'm working with at the moment are smaller contractors and have been amazing at doing renovations and suddenly maybe they're getting projects that they're not used to getting or a little bit different in the intricacy or the suppliers and that sort of thing that maybe they've never ordered lights from Urban Electric before or ever heard of the company, but they're doing all the procurement. 
So now they want to know how to order things and how to do that. And I just wonder if it's because the industry is so busy at the moment that people are taking jobs on that they normally wouldn't. And they're trying to structure them the way that they would have taken on these jobs in the past, but they're beyond what they're used to doing. It's just new. It's a new experience for them. And I think that for us, we're finding it difficult, which goes back to, I need to learn how to communicate. I need to learn how to express how we would do things or what would work best for the client. And it's difficult navigating those waters sometimes. Well, don't they say there's always two types of people in the design firm? There's the one that can talk to clients and does all the business stuff and that side of them, than the artist. Yes. Yep. A hundred percent. And we talk about separating church and state all the time, yeah. all the time that here's the one who does the problem solving. Here's the one who deals with the money side. Here's the one who deals with the contract part. And here's the one, me, who wants to show up, flail her arms around and say, don't worry, it's all going to be beautiful. (laughs) Hang in there with us. And it is, and some people I have come across too, and, and Jen, you know this from working together, that there are people who love to be in front of clients and are happy to be the messenger. And there are those that would rather stay behind and do the, the beautiful work on the paper and the project and put it in the hands of somebody else to go and do the presentation. And I think that finding that balance amongst a firm, amongst a team is something that takes time. Time and trust. Yes, that too, that too. So I'm going to ask one question because both of you have such different skill sets from me. If I were to ask, what is the one thing that would make you were working with the team members on a renovation or a build better? What would that change be that would make things better and easier? Matthew, you come at it from the architect's point of view. And don't say if designers never showed up, that's not an answer. (laughs) So, well, so for me, it's a little bit different because I have an engineering background as well. So I have a dual degree and I'd say just if people listened, which I know sounds like super stupid and basic, but it's kind of like, it's true. And I've been, this sounds unbelievably pretentious, but I've been in the room with architects and other people, particularly engineers who, because they know that I have an engineering degree, they'll kind of speak to me over like my boss. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, well, no offense, but I'm an intern and, you know, he's been here for 50 years. Like, yes, okay, I can add eight plus eight, but, you know, and I think if everybody just, you know, took a step back and, you know, kind of breathed in and breathed out and have a cup of chamomile or something like that and just chilled and mellowed and listened to each other, it would it would make life so much easier because half the time you know the points being made are actually quite important but you don't get to them because nobody wants to listen Mm -hmm. and and ultimately we're all wanting to end up in exactly the same spot the goal for everybody and I don't think that there's that many jobs other than maybe being a doctor where everyone on the team the goal is the same it's get to the end to create a home to make a client happy So we aren't trying to reinvent the wheel of what we're doing, but the process is a gong show and it can be. Infuriating. And how about you? So Matthew wants everyone to listen. I I fully agree. And I think that's also a main reason why I wanted to start this was because I just, I think everybody needs to be reminded 
uh, that they know how to listen and that we should just practice that a little bit more. Everyone brings a different skill set. And yet none of us, although some of us may think so, but none of us really truly can bring the client the best product if we cut one of the arms off. Like we all need our individual skill sets. And why wouldn't you want to be part of a bigger, better product at the end of the day? I sort of feel like contractors, not so much engineers, but definitely architects think they can do what interior designers do without realizing that there's a million different decisions that need to be made. And it's just not feasible for any one person to make all those decisions. You need to bounce ideas off other people and you need to have time to process design aesthetics and design aspects. And one person can't do that because the speed of the project goes at the rate that it goes. So if everyone's able to listen Mm -hmm. and respect everybody's skill set, then the project goes so much smoother. I think the best line I ever heard was from my business coach who said to me that when you're trying to extrapolate process information from somebody that you're butting heads with, the best line you can ever start with is help me understand. And I thought it's such a great phrase because you need to understand what they need. But in order to disarm the situation, you come at it from a, I need you. So you help me understand. And I thought those words are golden. They're golden in your marriage. They're golden with your kids. They're golden in your business relationships. But I think if we could all help each other understand we would actually find working together and communicating probably a lot better. So this podcast has gone from talking about design to now doing marital health and (laughs) family (laughs) therapy. (laughs) Isn't that what we do in Technicolor? I mean, I I think, I think architects do the exact opposite of marital therapy. More people end up divorced after doing a project than still together, but you know. Files can break up anybody. Don't worry. You're not Exactly. Um, So I think that's probably a sort of pretty good place to leave it. As the millennial that I am, Cynthia, I'm going to ask you where everybody can find you on social media or your website or whatever. So I'm on Instagram at Cynthia Ferguson Designs. uh, My website is the same. Um, Basically plug my name in and it's easy to track me down. So there you go. And we'll be back, I'm sure, at some point soon with another episode from you. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so insightful and so much fun. Mm -hmm.